If, if you have your hand out, I'd like to uh, turn to the back. And I'm, am I back live? Okay. <laughs> on, on the back of your handout today, I just kind of wanted to let you know where we're going. And uh, we're in a, a series. I should have actually done three titles, and you wouldn't think I was wearing it out. But, but we're talking about the Spirit-Centered Life. And over the next several weeks, you see I'm going to be talking about uh, continuing spirit giftedness, how God has gifted all of us with certain talents, abilities, and skills. Every human on this planet has been gifted by God with one of those seven that we listed several weeks ago. And we're, we're now in the charismatic gifts. We're going to be talking in the next couple of weeks about the declarative gifts. Those are the speaking gifts and the dynamic or power gifts. And, of course, in between that, we have a, a special guest on the 18th that's going to be sharing with you. We won't mention who it is, but he's in the sound booth, and his name is Chris. I'm looking forward to that. He's got a great story he'll be sharing with you on that particular Sunday. And on Mother's Day, I've asked Jill to speak and uh, that's the one time a year that our attendance arises and our views online go way, way up. Um, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, I just want you to know where we're going. And uh, if you're watching at home, as you feel more comfortable, we'd be delighted that you join us here today. In each and every week, 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. He is risen. I grew up in a tradition that uh, we would get up very early on Easter Sunday and we'd go to the Ministerial Alliance's uh, sunrise service, followed by the community pancake breakfast. <laughs> then we'd go to church and have Sunday school and then church. Well, by the time you'd done all of that and pancakes, when we got to Easter service, it was kind of a letdown. The carbs were all kind of playing in, and what should have been perhaps the grandest celebration Sunday kind of came in, we were landing at 747 uh, without the gear down, is kind of how it felt. It, and what was meant to be kind of our best service of the year wasn't because of what we'd, we'd done. That, that's a tradition. But we'd always start with that one song that started off with, Lo, in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior. And it was kind of a dirgy kind of thing. And then, bless God, when we hit, up from the grave he arose. Well, you know what? All of those words are true. All of those events are valuable. But they don't really make the point. He is risen. I said this in the opening this morning. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, he's just another dead man. And that's more profound than you'll recognize. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, he's just another dead man. And everyone who calls upon his name, everyone who walks in the faith of Christ, it would be doing so in vain because the thing that testifies to the validity of his word and the truth of his promises are he is risen. I'm going to say it again. He is risen. If that doesn't happen, then we ought to quit coming on Sunday. It saved me an hour drive. That's right. And even then, I have to, you know, pray my car's invisible. Please, those of you watching from law enforcement, do not look for that blue mirai on Sunday morning. 
But I want to take a few moments, and I, and I am going to take an incredible liberty right now, but you just have to play along. And I don't want anyone coming up after this and saying, you know, that story you started with isn't in the Bible. I know. But I want to look at a week for just a few moments through the eyes of a 12-year-old. He lived in Bethany. It's about three miles away from Jerusalem. And coming through this town a week ago was this man, this carpenter. Some were calling him the Messiah. His name was Jesus. And there was a crowd following him, and he was coming through their little town on his way to Jerusalem. And this 12-year-old Josiah was excited, and he ran out to the city gates to see this person coming. There'd been a lot of talk. He'd been on Facebook and Instagram. There was a lot of chatter. He might be the one. And here he comes. And there he was. There he was. The excitement of this 12-year-old as he saw this one he'd been hearing about. Now, his parents were skeptical. We've seen this before, son. But he thought, maybe, just maybe in my life, maybe this will be. And then he noticed out of that group, a couple of this man's followers came over and walked up to him. And, and they looked at him and said, son, what's your name? He says, my name's Josiah. Is that your donkey? Yes, it is. We'd like to borrow it. A thousand thoughts through, flew through his mind in that moment's time. That is something that he'd waited for, and it was the gift he got when he turned 12. His parents had saved and saved and saved. They were poor people in this community of Bethany. That's why we didn't live in Jerusalem. And to think that he might loan out this gift that they had saved and saved for, he didn't know if he wanted to do that, but there was something compelling, and they said, can we borrow your donkey? And even though everything within his mind screamed, no, no, he found himself saying, yes, yes, yes. And he said, thank you, son. And they, they took his donkey and they led it away and threw some clothes, some of their cloaks on top of it. And Jesus got on it and rode down the hill towards Jerusalem. He was reluctant. He wanted to follow and see what would happen, but he also wanted to follow to see if he could get his donkey back. <laughs> but he didn't have permission, and the last time he'd left town without checking with mom and dad, why, he had been grounded for a long, long time. But he found himself compelled to follow, and as he followed from a distance, he saw Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem, and the crowds grew, and they were yelling, save, save. That's what Hosanna means. And at the end of the parade, one of those men that followed him had came back and said, here's your donkey, son. Thank you so much. And he walked home knowing that he'd had an encounter, something significant that was going to change his life. He just didn't understand it. 
That was on Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday. We celebrated that a week ago. But things continued in that week that led him to have a roller coaster of emotions. There was such triumph. But he began to hear rumors, and he was reading the Bethany Times. And it was talking about the conflict that was going on in Jerusalem. That the religious leaders were, were stirring up people against Jesus and the crowds were proclaiming him as the Messiah. Something was going to happen. What he didn't know was for Jesus and his followers, that would be a week of triumph, of conflict, of turmoil even among his followers of denial from his followers, confusion, betrayal. And then rumor came that they had crucified. They had crucified this one that had ridden on his donkey. And as a 12-year-old, his hopes were shattered, his dreams not fulfilled. He heard later that fear had risen among the followers of this Jesus. He heard that the Jewish leaders were very, very excited and enthusiastic about the death and destruction of this one who was their opponent that stood in the way of their life. There was such a finality to it all. How could we go in one short period of time from such excitement on the first day of the week to a crucifixion? Now, hang on, on Wednesday, not Friday, because there was a special Sabbath for the Passover on Thursday. That's why they wanted to get it done. And if you count, because the Jewish count things from evening to evening, Wednesday night to Thursday night is one. And Thursday night to Friday night is day two. And Friday night to Saturday night is day three. That's how you get to three days. Some of you wondered how Jesus couldn't count. Because how does Friday night to Sunday count to three? It just doesn't. And so after the regular Sabbath on Saturday, the Jewish leaders were concerned because they counted the way I just counted. And so they put... Ask for guards at that tomb to make sure that this imposter and his followers did not show up and steal the body. Luke chapter 24 says, Early on Sunday morning, the women, way to go, ladies. Where are the guys? Hiding. The women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there, puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. When that happens throughout the Bible, the next thing happens. The women were terrified. Why do you think when angels show up, they say, don't be afraid? Because when they show up, they kind of make you afraid because they take you into a dimension you don't normally see. 
They bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked this question, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? In case you haven't noticed, he isn't here. And you know your group didn't steal him because they're all hiding. That's why you came alone. We, you know that you begged them to come. And they said, no, we don't want to go out. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day, Wednesday night to Thursday night, Thursday night to Friday night, Friday night to Saturday night. This is the third day. It's early Sunday morning. Guess who isn't here? Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. These are amazing events. These are amazing events. I want to share with you today that these events were part of a plan to redeem you and to redeem me from our fallen state and restore us to right relationship with God. It was a plan. Did you hear what I'm saying? It was a plan. God was not caught off guard. They weren't sitting up there, what do we do now? I guess we got to invent Easter. Let's look at it very, very quick. Allow me just to run through kind of the whole Bible in 15 minutes. God wasn't caught off guard. Back in Genesis 3, it says, I will make you and the woman hate each other. Your children and her children will be enemies. Her son will crush your head and you will bite his heel. Guess what? That's after the fall of man. And that's God saying to Satan, the devil, Lucifer, the adversary, saying, war's on. And her seed, in other words, someone who's human is going to destroy what you just took away because what you just took away was authority that I had given man and position that I had given man and walking with me in daily communion. You took all that away, Satan, but I'm telling you there's a day coming that a child of that woman that you deceived is going to come and crush you. God was not caught off guard. In Revelation, see, I told you I was going to preach the whole Bible. Genesis, Revelation. For those of you watching, if you don't know, Genesis the front, Revelation the end. We just covered the whole thing. Many people who live on earth will worship the beast. That's, that's the, the Antichrist. They are ones whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb is the one whose death was planned. Listen to this was planned before the world was created. God was not caught off guard. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, You know that God paid a ransom to save you from your empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with gold or silver, which lose their value. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as our ransom. Listen to this phrase. Long before the world began. 
God had a plan. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Luke chapter 24, verse 5 says, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He is not here. He is risen. He's alive. Because he is risen, four things. More than four, but I'm only going to touch on four. Number one, because he is risen, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. In that story I shared in Genesis 3, it shows us that we were hopelessly separated from God because before Adam and Eve gave in to the temptation of the adversary, every evening they had a walk with God. They were put in charge of everything. They were to have dominion over the earth and everything that lived on it. They were to be in charge. Dominion is a big word for rulership. And when they didn't know how to rule, guess what? They could write it down and in the evening chat, oh, this came up today. God, what do we do? Glad you asked. And after that deception, the dominion was transferred from them to the adversary. And the good news, friends, is that Jesus came to earth not only to live, to show us how we could live empowered by the Spirit, but to die, to pay for our sins and to rise again and take back the authority, the dominion that the adversary has stolen. And guess what Jesus does with it? He turns around to you and to me when we accept him as Savior and Lord, and he says, you had your keys stolen a while back. I caught the thief. I took him down. Here they are. You can be in charge again. And by the way, I'll give you my spirit to walk in you. So in those evening times when you don't know what to do, you don't have to lose the keys again. Romans 3 says, everyone has sinned. I'm looking around here. And I don't see anyone in this room that's exempt from everyone. I kept looking. But there's no one in here that's not part of everyone. I say, but, but I know, you know, I'm, I'm really good. I don't do a lot of bad things. Oh, yeah. It's not what we do. It's the bent in our heart. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Because we've sinned, death is our destiny. Death is our destiny. You'll say, where's that from? Well, in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin. In other words, what do you get paid for sin? Death. Now you'll say, but you know, I work really hard to be good. Congratulations. So did I. As a kid growing up, my religious traditions were like brushing your teeth. It's just something you did because you lived in the pastor's house. Yeah, so you could go to Sunday school and you could recite the verse. It's because mom and dad wouldn't let you go to sleep till you could quote it. It had nothing to do with the heart. It had to, I want to go to bed. <laughs> because the neat thing about my house on Sunday is we always got the fancy, fancy Danish for breakfast because mom didn't have time to cook. 
You can make all those efforts to make things right, but you're never going to measure up to God's standard. You know what sin means, what the word is in the Greek? It's hamartia. It means to miss the mark. In Isaiah 64, it says, we're all infected and impure with sin. All, I looked around. Everyone was in the everyone. Everyone's in the all. When we displayed our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. Now, I don't mean to gross anybody out, but minstrel cloths is actually what it is in the Hebrew. So you can make all those efforts, and it's filthy rags. It says, like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. But here's the good news. Jesus' death restores our relationship with God. All of my effort to measure back up didn't work. But Jesus' death on the cross and carrying your sin and mine, all sin, restores our relationship with God. In Romans 4, it says Jesus was handed over to be crucified. Why? For forgiveness of our sins and was raised back to life to prove to prove that he made us right with God. Why is the resurrection important? Because it proves that when you believe in him, you're made right with God. Another great thing, there's no charge for his grace and there's no charge for his forgiveness. In Romans 5, it says, there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. In other words, it put the sin nature in all of us. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the Romans, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yeah. Because he's risen, I am forgiven. Number two, because he is risen, I am free. I am free. I say, that's nice. You know, you remember the, the Jewish people, when Jesus confronted them, and the religious leaders, he said, uh, you're in bondage. And what did they say? We've never been in bondage to anyone. Let's think about that. Who are those soldiers over there? Oh, they're Romans. You ever hear of the Chaldeans? The Babylonians? You ever heard of the Egyptians? We're free, first of all, from sin's penalty. What is sin's penalty? We just said it's death and eternal separation from God. Because he's risen, I'm free from those penalties, and I'm free from being eternally separated with God. The good news, friends, is by believing and repent, changing my mind and accepting Christ in a moment's time, those two things are gone. The penalty of death is gone, and the separation from God. My creator is now healed and I'm restored in relationship with him. 
Romans 3.24 says, God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. Did, did you hear what I just said? God makes us right. All of our efforts to make us right don't make us right. But since he's the one that made us, he's the one that can fix us. And he can make us right. And he did. How did he do it? He did this through Christ Jesus, who, when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. I also submit to you today that we're free from sin's dominion, its dominance and power and rulership over us. Anybody in this room ever struggle? Anybody at home ever struggle? You have something in your life and you just can't seem to beat it? I'll fast for 40 days and it'll go away. And on day 41, there it is. Sin had a dominance over us. It had power over us. It led to behaviors and routines that kept us in bondage. But look at Romans 8. Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because he's made you right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as Christ, as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore... Always ask the question, why is the therefore, therefore? Why, what is, why is it therefore? It's a conclusion. Brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sin nature urges you to do. You have no obligation. Romans chapter 5. So if while we were still sinners, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more, listen to this, will we be rescued from sin's dominion? I've shared with you, church family, areas in my life that I struggled for years and years and years, and when I finally came to understand that the lordship of Jesus freed me from those things, and in a moment's time, it changed my thinking. In an area I shared with you that just happened a couple of months ago, I was struggling, and I, I went to, to see a friend, and it was interesting. He said, what's the lie you've believed? And once I recognized it, it's like, boop, it's flipped the switch. And man, did it change my life. And it can change yours, too. You'll notice that it says, rescued from sin's dominion, where you're, you just have to do it. You get to choose. Number three, because he is risen, I am filled. I am filled. What am I filled with? The Holy Spirit. The good news is, because he is risen, I don't have to live alone. Have you ever been in a crowd and felt alone? That's kind of me. You, you know my story. If Jill's not there, I'm in trouble. It's like, I don't know what to say. How's the weather? How's the weather, Greg? He says, fine. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm done. I got, I got nowhere to go. I, I need her to extend the conversation. I don't like to be alone. The good news is I don't have to be. Jesus said it to us this way in John 16. It's best for you that I go away. Wait a minute, I don't want to be alone. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I'll send him to you. Oh, you're sending someone 
to be with me? And guess who that is? It's an eternal helper who, catch this, is always available. In John 1.33, John the Baptist said this, I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me, John the Baptist, Baptist, to baptize with water, he said to me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Who was he talking about? Jesus. And Jesus is saying, it's good that I go away because when I do, I will baptize you in the Spirit. In John 14, I will ask my Father and he will give you another helper. He'll be with you forever. Here's what's great about this forever friend that Jesus gave us. He is a companion with a complete source of knowledge and a complete source of wisdom. In John 14, 26, the helper is the Holy Spirit. The Father will send him in my place. Listen to this phrase. He will teach you everything and help you remember everything. I don't know which one of those right now is more important for me at my age. Probably the remembering. <laughs> He'll teach you everything and help you remember everything I've told you. Paul said it this way in Ephesians, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. It's available to us. Because he is risen, I am filled. Number four, because he is risen, I will live forever. I will live forever. I read this verse earlier. I only read the first half in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's free. We have this eternal promise. Let me just read through a couple of verses very quickly. In John chapter 6, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has life. Aren't you grateful that it says anyone who believes? Not anyone who can keep the Ten Commandments. I can't get past one. Maybe some days. And don't look at me like that. Let's be honest. All of us have that struggle. Anyone who believes has eternal life. He goes on to say in verse 48 of John 6, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. Did you hear it? Will never die. I'm the living bread, he goes on to say, that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate that manna, but they will live forever. We have the promise of life forever. In John chapter 11, it says, Jesus said, you don't have to wait until then. I am. This is why he got in trouble. He said, I am. What's God's name? I am. What did he say? He said, I am the resurrection. And I used a version in the notes, I am life eternal. 
Anyone who clings to me in faith, even though he dies, will live forever. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. I could have Dale come up and preach this next line right now because she's heard this and got it and remembers it. And I want to say it again so you will too. Your last breath here is your first breath there. Your last thought here is your first... Are you, you ever remember hearing this? It's why I'm not afraid. And as believers in Jesus Christ, he said, you will never die. In Romans 6, and we know that since the anointed one, you know who that is, that's the Messiah, that's Jesus, has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death and listen to this phrase, and its power over him is finished. Because this, we can receive an energetic, hope-filled new life from his fountain of mercy. First Peter 1 says, Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy for his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We're reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why is it important that we say today he is risen? Because his resurrection is our guarantee. In John chapter 14, listen to this phrase, please. I will not abandon you as orphans. My parents abandoned me. I know what it feels like. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. And here's the phrase I want you to catch. Since I live, you will live also. In closing, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 through 20, it says this. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life only, we are to be pitied more than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Because he is risen, I am forgiven. I'm filled. I have hope. I have a future. Amen. Amen. That's all I got. If you're in this room or the sound of my voice, it's so simple to have this hope. It's so simple. All you need to do is acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I don't measure up. I missed the mark. I'm one of those everyone. But I believe Jesus died for me, and because he died, 
my sins are covered, and because he lives, I shall live also. It's really quite simple. If you're here in this room, you're watching us, you pray this simple prayer, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I accept you as my Savior. I acknowledge my need of you. I can't do it alone. I didn't measure up. I've struggled. I've failed. All of those things, I admit it. But I repent. I change my thinking. I'm no longer going to rely on myself. I'm going to rely on you, Jesus. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to believe that because you were raised from the dead, I too have forgiveness of sins. I am placed in right relationship with God. And I have the guarantee of life eternal. You know, if you prayed that simple prayer in your heart or something close to it, you've, you've been born again, the Bible says, John chapter 3. Your life has changed. I encourage you to trust him. He will change your life and take you places you never believed you could go. Amen. So thank you for being here today. We're going to close in a word of prayer. God, thank you for raising your son. Jesus, thank you for coming, carrying our sin, the burden of our shame all on the cross, and addressing all of those issues forever. And thank you, Jesus, for when you left physically, that you gave us the Holy Spirit to dwell in our lives and to be with us. May we walk in close fellowship with you and in communion with your spirit and by your spirit this day. In Christ's name, amen. Happy Easter, church. He is risen. God bless you.